Thank you, Pastor Gladwin. And a very good evening, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is truly a great honour and privilege for me to be able to join in the service, worshipping with all of you and to bring God's word to you. I want to thank Pastor Raymond and also uh, the WSES for inviting me here this evening. And I also bring you greetings from the 20 sister track churches. We are so glad to be able to share this connection uh, and to glorify God in the different communities that he has put us in. Uh, today, we also celebrate a very special day where we honour the ladies, the women in our church. Uh, and uh, we truly thank them for their ministry in the home and in the family of God here in the local church. So if you're sitting next to a lady, could you just turn to her and wish her a very blessed WSCS Sunday and thank her for her ministry to you in this church. Yeah, if you're sitting next to a lady, just turn and, you know, honour her. Yeah. And of course, today we honour a very special group of ladies, uh, mummies, uh, spiritual mothers, not forgetting grandmothers as well. Uh, we truly want to wish you a very happy and blessed uh, Mother's Day and to thank you for all the sacrifice and the love that you model for us and that you show us. Uh, today, the WSCS has chosen as their theme verse um, the words from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 19. So let's join our, verse, uh, jo join our voices to read God's word together. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 to 19. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we jump into these verses and unpack it, I want to do a little quiz with all of you. Right, I'd like you to, uh, from where you are, if you know the name of this uh, pop idol that I'm going to show you in a little while, just shout out the person's name. Okay, let's go. How many of you know this couple? Yes, Johnny and Mary Osman. How many of you know them? Could you put up your hand? <laughs> How many of you don't know them? Okay, some hands going up as well. Yeah, they were very popular when I was a teenager growing up. Yeah, and uh, those of you of my vintage will also know them. Uh, next one coming up. How many of you know this singer? Oh, sorry. Next one. Andy Williams. Yes. <laughs> Moon River. Andy Williams. How many of you know him? Put up your hands. How many of you don't know him? Yeah, some hands going up as well. All right, so our generational differences are showing up. All right, this is Andy Williams, right? One of his most famous songs is, you know, Moon River. Uh, and, okay, next one coming up. Who is this lady? Anne-Marie. How many of you know her? Right, You Needed Me. That was one of her famous songs. How many of you don't know her? 
Right, same hands went up. Right, Anne Marie. Okay, so why are we doing this? Why are we, you know, looking at pop idols, whether you know or you don't know them? Obviously, you know, um, people of, uh, you know, uh, my generation, uh, whether we call ourselves the older generation, would know them, but the younger ones will not know them. And if we don't tell the younger generation about them, then they will not be known, right? And today's word, uh, we want to talk about uh, what raising the next generation is about. And one of the things that we want to uh, remember about raising the next generation is that we ourselves, our generation, all of us here, need to remember the mighty deeds of the Lord and then to be able to tell it to the next generation. And when we look at the passage that we just read just now, this was really taken in context of a situation where Moses uh, was with the Israelites and all the people, and they were just about to cross into the promised land. And we need to remember that, you know, the Israelites had been in Egypt, and, uh, you know, they were actually being oppressed there, uh, and their cries were heard by God, you know, and God, you know, brought them out of Egypt miraculously, through the Red Sea, uh, and then, you know, they decided not to go into the Promised Land and they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And here now, 40 years later, they were at the brink of going into the Promised Land. And God had told Moses, you are not going to lead the people into the Promised Land, but Joshua is going to lead them. And so Moses, you know, uh, reaching the last bit of his, you know, years and of his ministry, he gathered the people together and he gave them in instructions about, you know, the important things that they must remember. Uh, and if we look at Deuteronomy 11, he told them to remember that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord, your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, and he reminded them about, you know, what they went through in Egypt when, you know, God sent the ten plagues upon the Egyptians, including the firstborn of the Egyptians all dying, and the firstborn of the Israelites did not die because they were all in their homes with the blood, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, painted over uh, the doorway of their homes. Uh, so the miracles that God did, uh, when they were in the land of Egypt, and also how God had miraculously brought them through the Red Sea, and when the Egyptians gave chase, the waters came over the Egyptians in a period of discipline, when God disciplined the Egyptians and his mighty works were seen. And and Moses reminded the people, your children did not live through that times, but you did, and you must remember so that you can tell your next generation. And Moses also went on to tell the Israelites or to remind them about the time that they were wandering in the desert. Uh, and there were two people, their names were Dathan and Abiram. They had started complaining, you know, and stirring up dissension against God's appointed leader, Moses, uh, and accusing him of misleading them out of Egypt and of lording it over them. And again, God's discipline came down in a very mighty way. The whole earth opened up before all the Israelite assembly and Dathan and Abiram and their wives, their household, their cattle, everything fell into that open ground that opened before them. And this was another mighty act of the Lord done in a period of discipline. You know, it's always nice to tell our children or to share with one another about the 
good blessings that God has done for us. But God does His mighty deeds, even in times of discipline. And here Moses was reminding the people to remember the mighty works of the Lord done in discipline as well, because it is during these moments that we remember that God wants us to take His word seriously and that we also choose to observe and obey the commands of the Lord. So think and reflect about your life. What are the things that God has blessed you with, even sometimes through a period of pain and suffering, where God shows His wonderful and good purposes for you? Are there testimonies of such mighty deeds of the Lord in your life where a trial became a testimony? Maybe a period of pain, you know, when a loved one suffered from disease or discomfort, and yet the grace of God came through to provide for the person or to bring, uh, you know, healing for that person. Or perhaps it's a testimony of a prodigal son or daughter who has come home and relationships have been restored. A story of how God has provided for your family in a time of dire circumstances. All these stories need to be remembered. All these stories need to be told to the next generation so that they will obey the commands of the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 11, Moses also reminds the uh, people what are the blessings of observing and obeying the commands of the Lord. So you see here in verses 8 to 9, you know, if you observe the commands of the Lord, you will take over the land. They were on the brink of going into the promised land. And if, you know, Moses told them, if you obey God's commands, God is going to give you this land. And not only that, you will have long life in this land. You will live to a ripe old age. And this land is a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, it is a land where, you know, that drinks rain from the mountains, uh, that drinks rain from heaven, uh, a land of mountains and valleys. Uh, and it is a land that God cares for. And this would have been especially significant to the Israelites because they would have remembered the time in Egypt when, you know, the land was not irrigated by rains from heaven. They had to plant the seed and they had to irrigate the land with their foot. So God was telling them, uh, Moses was telling them, observe God's commands, you know, and you will be able to enter this land of milk and honey that, you know, feeds from the rains that come down from heaven, a land that God himself cares for. More blessings for obeying the commands of the Lord. You will gather in your grain new wine and olive oil and you will eat uh, and uh, even your cattle will eat from the grass in the fields and you will eat and be satisfied. And you translate this into modern language, it means there will be economic prosperity. You will have enough money, you will be able to bring back enough money to your homes to have food on the table. And not only that, your whole household you know, uh, will also be provided for. And all this comes from observing and obeying the commands of the Lord. And again, Moses says, you will dispossess the nations. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. What wonderful blessings come from observing and obeying the commands of the Lord. But Moses also tells them, if you do not obey, this is what you can expect. It will not rain, the ground will yield no produce, 
you will soon perish. So God really wants us to heed his words. And so Moses goes on to unpack for them what it means to observe and obey the commands of the Lord. And he tells them, love the Lord your God. Keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. That's in Deuteronomy 11 verse 1. And he repeats it again in verse 13, where he says, Love the Lord your God, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And in Deuteronomy 6, Moses reminds the people again, reminds them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And you know, this really means loving God with all of ourselves, all of your heart. Your heart is the seat of your motivations and your feelings. Your feelings can drive you to do things, and God wants us to love Him with all our hearts. God wants us to love Him with all our minds as well, our, our soul, the, you know, the seat of our thinking. We need to love Him with our thoughts as well and our thinking. And God wants us to love Him with all our strength. That really is talking about all our resources, our wealth, our time, our talent, all of that. We are to love God with that as well. And when we do this, then we will be ready to raise the next generation. And, you know, in elaboration of uh, this uh, command that God wants us to love uh, Him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our uh, strength as well, uh, then we read from the verses that we read just now, uh, where in verse 18, uh, Moses tells them, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. God wants us to fix, meaning again, remember it so that we will live it in our lives. And you know, it, this verse goes on to say, tie the words of God on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And the Jewish people will actually do that. They will actually write down the words of God, you know, uh, on uh, pieces of paper. They'll fold it up and they'll put it in little boxes called phylacteries, tie it around their hands, bind it on their foreheads, so that the word of God is literally, you know, they are fixing it, you know, on their hands and on their heads. Of course, all of us don't walk around uh, with little boxes on our hands and on our feet. Uh, but we are reminded here to really, you know, mean it when uh, we remember God's Word in our hearts and in our minds as well. And why not just your minds? It needs to be in your hearts as well because it needs to be lived out in your lives. The Word of God needs to be, you know, experienced, applied in our living. And so far, if you look at, you know, all that we've uh, talked about, you know, when we think about the topic raising the next generation, we haven't even come down to the next generation yet. We're still at ourselves. If you want to raise the next generation in God's ways, you need to start with yourselves. You need to remember the mighty works of the Lord. You need to also then to observe and obey the commands of the Lord. When you have done these two things, then you are ready to teach them to your children. And our verse, scripture verse today, actually, you know, expands that for us. Uh, and, you know, Deuteronomy uh, verse 19 says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. 
Just in one verse, there are six verbs there. So it is very, very active. Teaching the Word of God is not about just standing there and giving a lecture. It is to be lived out in your life. You are role modeling the Word of God as you live out your life with your children and your next generation as the front row spectators of that. You become role models of how you live out the Word of God in your life. And, you know, a key word that comes out here is the word talk. Talk about the Word of God to your children. And my question to us then is, how many of us are actually doing that? How many of us are actually having faith conversations with our children in the home? There was a survey done by Focus in the Family, and, you know, uh, they asked the young people, the children, you know, um, uh, how do they view view their parents? Uh, And two out of three young people actually said that, you know, they see their parents' relationship with God as a role model for their own faith. And 77% of them said that they rate parents uh, as having moderate to very high impact on their own spiritual development. So we see the important role that parents and grandparents play in a child's life. But then the next question the youth were asked was, how often do you actually have faith conversations with your parents? And the survey showed that only one in five young people actually talk with their parents about faith matters. Right? So one in five is not pass mark. If we want to count 50% as pass mark, then you know, we are way below that. And then um, they also ask the young people, do you pray with your parents and worship with them? And 48% said that they did, which means that the majority do not. So it's a reminder to all of us, you know, in the body of Christ, uh, and in light of what Moses reminds the Israelites and reminds all of us today, that we do need to engage in faith conversations with our children, to be able to raise them up in God's ways. And, you know, uh, when we talk about them, uh, about God's Word, we need to talk about it, not just one time, once a week. But if you read what Deuteronomy, uh, you know, says here, Talk about God's Word when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. That sounds like 247, right? Minus the time that you are asleep, right? It's a daily thing. It is like almost like every minute that you have, you should be engaging in that conversation with your child. And how do you then really apply that? Um, I remember when my kids were young, uh, you know, uh, having a prayer in the morning was really quite tough uh, when everybody was rushing to get to school. Uh, so, you know, we would all get them into the car, my husband and me. Uh, but the ride to school was actually a 30-minute ride from our home to school. And so we decided that we would turn that 30-minute car ride into a 30-minute time of prayer and devotion. So we bought devotion books when they were children. You know, we had children devotion books when they became youth. We bought a youth devotional book. And we all took turns to read God's Word and to pray together as we went along the way, having faith conversations with the kids in the car. 
and then you know when they were younger at bedtime you know there would be bedtime stories bible stories you know when they grew older they got busy you know doing their own things but when they became teenagers you know we began my husband and i began to see you know uh, how they were trying to apply god's word to their daily living daily living sometimes succeeding sometimes not and the pressures you know uh, of uh, their peers coming in on them and so we decided to have an evening prayer time together and when i first suggested it to my kids they all protested mom we're very busy we got homework no time you know First time my kids telling me they got homework to do, usually it's me chasing them to do homework. But after the initial period of protest, finally everyone agreed and uh, we come together nightly to just maybe read one verse, sometimes a passage of scripture, share about what's happening in our lives, say a prayer to the Lord. And it takes just five to ten minutes to do that. And that little prayer meeting still carries on today. Although they're young adults now, whoever's in the house will all come together for that time of prayer. And it is through this layering of, you know, faith conversations, of prayer, of worship together over the years that really helps our children to develop a Christian worldview. And, you know, we teach them about God's Word so that, you know, as we train them up when they are young, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And this also applies to perhaps some of us who may be involved in, you know, spiritual mentoring. You're a spiritual mother to those that you are looking after. I remember when I was in my varsity days, I had a Bible, uh, a cell group leader. She was a staff worker in the Varsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, and she met us every week for Bible study. I don't remember the things that she taught us in Bible study, but I do remember the example of her life. She was faithfully teaching us every week. And she not only taught us, she prayed with us. She had faith conversations with us about different matters in our life, about the stress of studying, about boygal relationships, about what it meant to serve God. And in her own life, she served God wholeheartedly. She eventually went, you know, she eventually got married and she went to serve God as a missionary in Africa. And today she continues to, you know, uh, lecture in a, a Bible college. And, um, and she really role modeled for us what the Word of God looks like in application. And God used her to raise the generation of students in the university uh, and you know she truly raised us in God's ways. So today as we think about what we can do to raise the next generation in God's ways by remembering the mighty words the mighty deeds of the Lord and telling it to the next generation by observing and obeying the commands of the Lord and then in teaching and talking about God's word to the next generation, I want to close off today's sermon by sharing with you about the, the model of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley is uh, often called uh, the mother of Methodism. Uh, she never wrote a book. She never pastored a church. Yet her influence as a mother and a pastor's wife impacted many, many people and definitely nurtured her two famous sons, John and Charles Wesley, whom God used very powerfully in the revival during their generation that led to the establishment of the Methodist societies and eventually the Methodist church all around uh, in England at that time and now all over the world. I was very blessed to be able to visit 
uh, Epworth, where she lived. And this is the old rectory in uh, Epworth. Of course, the original one, uh, if you have read that comic book that came out last year, or if you read, you know, a biography about John Wesley, that original old rectory has been burned down. But they've built a new one modelled after the old rectory. And this is where Susanna, you know, um, uh, had you know, uh, took charge of the family that God had given her. And she had 19 children altogether. Although I think about, you know, uh, a, a few of them passed away, but it was a huge family. And she was many times soldiering it alone uh, because her husband, you know, was uh, often away. He was either busy, you know, studying, you know, doing an exegesis uh, that he was working on. Or sometimes he was even thrown into prison because he was, you know, also uh, uh, in debt. And uh, in one of the rooms in the old rectory uh, is... Um is a chair which they believe belonged to Susanna Wesley and uh, it's called her prayer chair. It's a very special chair because there's a little tray that you can pull out, right, and you can put in as well. So normally, you know, you just sit in the chair. But when Susanna Wesley wanted to pray, she would pull out that little tray, she would put her Bible there, and on her footstool, she will kneel before it, and then she would actually be reading her Bible there. And this was in full view of all her children, in the house. And you see above this prayer chair, there's a little portrait which I've enlarged. And you see there, it's a painting of Susanna Wesley with an apron around her, right? And it is said that, you know, when she prayed, sometimes, you know, she would spend time at her prayer chair for as long as two hours. She would put that prayer, that apron over her head as she went into prayer. And her children knew when they saw her with the apron over her head, they were not at all to disturb her unless it was truly an emergency. So her children saw her in deep devotion to the God that she loved. This is the kitchen in uh, the old rectory, and this is where she really ruled the roost. She did homeschooling, right, uh, for all her many children. So from 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock, right, uh, that was morning session of school. They had a, they had a two-hour break, and then from 2 to 5 o'clock, it was afternoon session. And it was not dividing the children into half, uh, half go for morning session, half go for afternoon session, uh, like what we have in uh, primary school here. Uh. It was, you know, whole day schooling with that uh, two-hour break in between, right? I actually cannot imagine how she did it, how she had time for schooling almost a whole day, right? And uh, especially doing household chores as well. She was the, you know, uh, one, you know, having to take charge of all that. How she managed to spend, you know, uh, two hours per day, you know, uh, praying, you know, and spending her own time in devotion before God. And, and she took it upon herself as well to spend time with each of her children every night. So, in a letter to her husband, who was not around, she wrote, I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, yet, in your long absence, I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under trust. I am not a man, nor a minister, yet... As a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observed the following method. I take such a proportion of time as I can spare every night 
to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talked to Molly. On Tuesday, with Hattie. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. What an amazing lady. Faith conversations with her children, not gathered together as a large group, but individual time with her kids. And on Sundays, she would actually call all her kids together, all her family together. And you know, they would go to church in the morning, but in the evening, she would have like a little family devotion time. And during that time, she would read sermons, sermons that her husband had written or that her own father had written because he was also, you know, a a pastor. Uh, And she got her children together to read these sermons to them, but she also allowed her servants to join in the little family gathering. But her servants soon began to call their family members. And then because the little fellowship in the evening, the little family devotion in the evening was really, you know, ministering to people and transforming people's lives, that gathering, you know, the the servants went to, to tell their other friends. And very soon that family devotion time became a group of 200 people and met in that kitchen that I showed you just now, you know, uh, in a time of evening devotion. And John and Charles Wesley were eight years old and four years old at that time. They saw what was happening and it must have impacted them because when they grew up and they were leaders in the Methodist movement, uh, John Wesley actually allowed lay people to join him in the ministry of the word because he saw what had happened in his own home with his mother, you know, uh, leading that little group over there. And he also, uh, John Wesley also allowed women to join in the ministry of the word as lay preachers because he saw that role modeling in his own mother as well. And so Susanna Wesley, to me, really epitomizes what we're talking about today in raising the next generation in God's ways. She was really devoted to God, remembering his mighty deeds in her life. And she observed and obeyed the commands of the Lord, and she taught it diligently, intentionally to her children. And God honored her. What she did impacted her own family, definitely, But then, through her children, it impacted the whole of England through the Methodist movement. And if you think about it, it's impacting us even today, trickling down through the whole world and trickling down through the generations as well. And Susanna Wesley had this to say, there are two things to do about the gospel. Believe it and behave it. The child that never learns to obey his parents in the home will not obey God or man out of the home. I am content to fill a little space if God be glorified. And we all know how well Susanna filled that little space in being intentional to, you know, uh, raise her children in God's ways and how through that God honoured that and it It really impacted England and the whole world, America, and how it has come to our shores here in Asia and in Singapore, and how it has impacted the generations that have come after her as well. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope 
that you too will fill your little space, the little space that God has given you to raise the, ge- the next generation in God's way. And that little space that you fill dutifully, faithfully, responsibly, God will enlarge it to impact many others, not only in the lives of your next generation, but also in the generations that will come after that, after them. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And as we hear your word, Lord, I pray that you will give us this courage to want to obey your word. Lord, you have put us all in families. And Father, I pray that we will be faithful a lot to you in the families that you have given us to really study your word for ourselves, to really obey your commands, and then to be able to teach it to the next generation in our own families and perhaps in our extended families as well. And for some of us, you may be calling us to ministries to the next generation. And I pray, Father, that those that you are calling, they will hear and they will respond to you. And Lord, you will use them mightily to teach the next generation your word, your ways, so that our children will be trained up in your ways, so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And Lord, you will be glorified in our generation and in the generations to come as well. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.